We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we're for the people of Missouri. We're for brewmasters, stockbrokers, beauty queens, and truck drivers. Whatever you do, if you're a Missourian, we're for you. We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we've got Missouri covered. The Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all-natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. Chiefs getting ready for the Super Bowl. Celebrating the AFC champs, Dewey's Pizza extending an exclusive and tasty deal to Chiefs Kingdom. In honor of number 15, you can enjoy 15% off your dine-in purchase all week through Sunday. Just wear your Chiefs gear, say, go Chiefs to a Dewey's team member, and uh, you can get 15% off your dine-in purchase all week through Sunday. Just visit Dewey's Pizza in Overland Park to redeem this touchdown of a bonus. That is with uh, Dewey's Pizza. We continue our uh, coverage of the uh, Super Bowl. Todd Lebo there at uh, Radio Row, presented by Deepa Squally Moore Injury Attorneys. Have you or a loved one been in a car wreck? Contact the Deepa Squally Moore Law Firm today. Get the money you deserve. Car wreck? Remember, Mike's got this. And also Hollywood Casino, the all-new sportsbook at Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway. It's now open. Remodeled with an all-new bar, ticker tape, leather sofas, and armchairs. So much more. The big game Coming up on Sunday. It's also brought to you by the Low T Center. Fellas, do you know your numbers? Go find them out at the Low T Center. They make it quick and easy. Go to lowtcenter.com to get your levels checked today. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Of course, also brought to you by our friends at Greenlight Dispensary. Check out their amazing February flower power deals at greenlightdispensary.com. That's greenlightdispensary.com. We're going to talk with Cynthia Freeland coming up at noon now. She has been called to the NFL Network set. Got to be on TV or something. I mean, here's the thing. When your part-time job affects your full-time job, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, this, her main gig, we're getting pushed aside for her part-time gig at NFL Network. It's honestly offensive. Absolutely. I have actually told her, I said, (laughs) we actually just won't need you at all today then, Cynthia. No, thank you. It was 11 or nothing. Um, no, we will uh, love to talk with Cynthia Freeland coming up at noon, moving some things around. No big deal, uh, but uh, she's on the NFL Network. Uh, I'm going to see if right she's now. live so we can just watch and judge. If this, maybe she's maybe she's doing something else behind, like you know, she a taping be, uh, situation. Because she's live, live, though. Super Bowl Live comes up at noon. Mm. Um, so uh, right now, some more uh, GMFB, some more Good Morning Football. Um, yeah, she had a uh, a fun breakdown. Her and uh, Chase Daniel. Had a breakdown of some of the keys in this game for the uh, Chiefs and 49ers. We'll certainly talk to her about that coming up in the uh, noon hour. You know, I've mentioned that if the Chiefs win on Sunday, some of the things that are on the line for the Chiefs, and they've talked about it, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, they've discussed the historical precedent of what a win would be for the Chiefs on Sunday. uh, That, you know, not only back-to-back, that's the main thing they've been talking about is just back-to-back and how history looks upon teams that have won back-to-back Super Bowls, and especially in a salary-capped era. But the dynasty conversation, I think they are certainly in the discussion of a dynasty. I think you can make a strong case that they are a dynasty. I would not argue um, and, and, and die on the hill if somebody says, not yet. Eh, I get it, totally. Three Super Bowls, there is no question about it. N- none whatsoever. Three Super Bowls in five years 
would be dynastic. And I think, you know, we've talked about the five-year run for this Chiefs, and then you can extend it to the six-year run. Because over the six years with Patrick Mahomes as a starter, the Chiefs have won more regular season games than any other team in NFL history. They've won more playoff games than any other team in NFL history over the six years. They have never trailed at the end of an AFC championship game. They've either gone to the Super Bowl or gone to overtime in an AFC championship game in six straight freaking years. It is unbelievable. But a five-year stretch, especially in the salary cap era, to me... A win on Sunday would mark the greatest five-year stretch of any team and dynasty. And the reason I say that is you throw in a back-to-back with the five years, the Patriots in the you know middle teens won a Super Bowl, lost in the conference championship game, won a Super Bowl, lost a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl. They won three over five years, mm-hmm. and the one they did not go to, they lost in the conference championship game, just as the Chiefs. Patriots went to four, won three. Chiefs, if they win on Sunday, would go to four and win three. The only loss came in a conference championship game. Chiefs lost in overtime. Patriots lost by two. Over that time, the Chiefs have won 77 total games in this five-year run. If they win on Sunday, it would be 77 wins in the five years. The Patriots won 74 games in the five years. They never played in a 17-game era. Mm-hmm. So even if you eliminate those three wins, if you say every 17th game the Chiefs got an extra win out of it, whatever, um, you, can, you can certainly say that. Even if you eliminate that, you're talking about 74 and 74. But when you throw in a back-to-back, I think this would be the greatest five-year stretch of any team in the salary-capped era because the Dallas Cowboys in the five-year stretch of when they won you know, back-to-back and then didn't go to the Super Bowl and then won another Super Bowl. They won three out of four. But before that, not making a conference championship game, after that, not making a conference championship game, like when you throw in that fifth year, they went to three Super Bowls in five years, not four. That's what I think is on the line. It's not only the back-to-back. It's being looked at as the greatest five-year run in NFL history because some of those other five-year runs of the past, you had the same players over and over and over and over and over. You didn't have to change a lot of things up because of the salary cap, because of free agency and having the trades and everything like that, that you could just simply say, well, this team next year is going to be the same team. This team next year is going to be the same team. We know for shouldn't say for a fact, but we believe there's a pretty strong possibility that either or both Chris Jones or Lingeria Sneed will be playing their final game in a Chiefs uniform coming up on Sunday. Both of them might be doing that. I think it's pretty solid that at least one of them might be playing one of their final games in a Chiefs uniform. We didn't think Travis Kelsey in the AFC or uh, uh, Tyreek Hill in the AFC championship game against the Bengals would be the last time we would see him in a Chiefs uniform. But it is to this point. Maybe there'll be a time down the road where he says, you know, what, uh, one, of, one of my last year, want to be in, uh, in Kansas City. Who knows? Um, but you have to change those things. And Patrick Mahomes and his salary cap percentage is the highest we've seen in winning a Super Bowl last year. And then again this year in you know his percentage against the cap. And the Chiefs are still able to do that. I think the only debatable one would be the Patriots. But I think the Chiefs get the nod. Homer or not, the numbers would back it up. 
that's kind of the thing where, like, however this goes, it's shortly thereafter going to become exhausting because, again, nope. people are tired of, <laughs> of winning, right? Like, you win enough and eventually you become the villains, as we've covered it in this yeah. week and these last couple of weeks. But you can go back, like you said, the back-to-back of those early Patriots doing it in the, the very beginning of the 2000s, and they had a hell of a, a two-year back-to-back and a three-year run of those three and four years and missing one Super Bowl in the middle there, the, the Bucks raiders year, and then they get and lose to the Giants, and then they get and lose to the Giants, and then they eventually, <laughs> in 2015, win yeah. again. The thing to me, the reason that I go back through that 10-year stretch of the Patriots is that it just gets kind of lost to history yeah. that in winning in 2005 and then losing to the Giants twice is what distracts from the fact that they didn't win again until 2015. They had a 10-year window where they did not hoist a Lombardi trophy, and they are unquestionably a dynasty through that entire 20-year window, 15, 18, whatever mm-hmm. it was. No one would reasonably be like, no, that that wasn't a dynasty. They had years and years in the middle where they were totally just ho-hum. No, they were always great, and they were always the villain of the AFC and the villain of the NFL and the team you were setting your standard against. They were getting poached off of for teams trying to find and build a Patriot way somewhere else, and it never actually happened. But if you want to argue against the Chiefs' spot in NFL history if they win on Sunday, and really, even if they don't, I don't know what straws you're going to be able to grasp yeah. at to be able to say, no, 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 this this isn't really a dynasty. This isn't really one of those teams. This isn't a main character of the NFL team. Look around. It obviously is. Just ask anyone who doesn't like the Chiefs, and they will tell you if their actions, this is a dynasty building. It's not the end of a dynasty. I don't I don't know how early you would have called it that against the Patriots. Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't doing, wasn't, wasn't doing uh, dynasty talk in 2006 or whatever, but... I I think it's obvious that the Patriots accomplished that. And the Chiefs right now, barring a 10-year dry spell coming up around the corner, the Chiefs are on a better track than those early Patriots teams were. I'm not saying they're going to end up with that many mm-hmm. rings, but they're on a better track yeah. than that. And they have the defensive coordinator who uh, who got in Brady's way a little bit there in, in, uh, in New York. And there are a couple players that uh, play for that defensive coordinator. Uh, Drew Tranquil, Justin Reed. At NFL uh, Network, there was a, a piece that was written last night about the Chiefs and having, you know, the, the second youngest defense to go to a Super Bowl ever. Uh, the the uh, youngest defense in average age was the Indianapolis Colts in 2009. They end up losing to the Saints in that game. Uh, but this Chiefs uh, defense is not only young, it's really, really good. The only teams to make the Super Bowl allowing uh, as few points as the Chiefs have allowed in these three games through the playoffs all won the Super Bowl. Those defenses did. And Steve Spagnolo is just uh, brilliant. Drew Tranquil and Justin Reed, they were both asked about this defense, how it'll be remembered, and how they want this defense to be remembered come you know years down the road because this defense has been damn good. Uh, here's Drew Tranquil. We'll start with him on um, his thoughts on how he would like this defense to be remembered. Yeah, I love what uh, Spags actually mentioned this earlier in the week, but um, he said we're looking for the respect that comes with winning a Super Bowl, winning a championship. And so um, I think that's what we, we want to be remembered as, is back-to-back champions. Um, regardless of how we win the game or go about winning the game on Sunday, all that matters is winning the game and uh, bringing home the Lombardi bringing home another championship to our great fans in Kansas City. And uh, that's that's what we're going to be focused on. Let's hear from Justin Reed. He was asked the same question, um, What uh, you know, how he wants this defense to be remembered. 
Uh, we want to be remembered as a tenacious defense, violence, fast. You want to see guys turn on the tape. You want to see all 11 bodies fly into the ball. You want to turn – we want opposing offenses to be like, like, wow, like these guys fly around, they're physical. I don't know if I want to step on the field with them. That's the type of mark that we want to leave on the field um, when we go out and play Sunday. I wonder, as the years go on, and even as the weeks go, that how much this team – will be viewed as sort of the respect of the defense being a big part of this. I think uh, a, a, you know, a, a good number of national analysts will look at it. You know, uh, Jeffrey Chidea was on yesterday with the Border Patrol, maybe the day before, talking about the defense, and he was like, but they're the reason they're here. You know, as almost as if it was like, duh. But I don't know that it's sort of a duh to a lot of people around the NFL. And I think Steve Spagnuolo was getting his flowers right now. I think people have talked about that throughout uh, this week and even last week a little bit is how great of a defensive coordinator he is and how good this defense is. Um, I think they are one game away from being viewed as one of the great defenses of the Super Bowl era. If they can go out and do to the 49ers what they did to the Ravens, what they did to the Dolphins, and limit them. And if it's a closer, low-scoring game, the defense is going to get a whole lot of credit because last year the defense didn't get a whole lot of credit in that 38-35 win. Even though they had a defensive score with Nick Bolton, and even though in the second half they got stops to get the ball back to the Chiefs for the Chiefs to go on that run where they scored multiple touchdowns to take the lead and then you know feel like they had a decent amount of control to where the Eagles finally got the ball back, but they were trailing in the game after the touchdown, punt return touchdown for the Chiefs to take the lead. And then, you know, for uh, for the Chiefs' offense to go down and then put the 38th point on the board to win, defense didn't get a whole lot of respect in that game, coming out of that game. And they talked about it in the offseason, that, you know, Steve Spagnuolo saying, we didn't put our best effort out there in the Super Bowl. It's got to be different this go-around. And it's one of the reasons why this defense has been on a mission, is to prove that that's not what they were last year. If this is a high-scoring game, I think the defense will kind of get lost in the uh, in the shuffle. If it's a middle-of-the-pack game, you know, like 27-21, 24-21, 27-24, something like that, I think they'll be respected, but it'll be more about how did the Chiefs get to 27 or if the Chiefs only got to 24, like if the defense was giving up the uh, 27 points. There's a lot on the line against the 49ers from an individual sort of unit perspective for the defense as to historically how they can be viewed along with the overall team in winning back-to-back Super Bowls. I like this take, and I'm going to reconnect it back to a team and a guy we've been talking about. That 2007 New York Giants team was a wild-card team. I, I'm going to look now. I don't want to be like super revisionist and say that a team from 15 years ago that I don't remember all the details of like stunk defensively. I remember them having some pretty talented yeah. pass rushers uh, throughout that kind of that whole era for them, obviously. But just going back to the the 07 team, because they were the first wild card team to win the Super Bowl, right? Dylan, you can uh, you can fact check me on on anything I say about NFL history that may be wrong, but I, I think I got my notes right. That is a team where how about this points against that 2007 NFL season. Giants were 17th of 32. Wow. That defense wow. is remembered yeah. as titanic, as a the reason they won that game. It was, oh, you know, Eli Manning and all of his uh, his, his witches and wizardry and all of the things we couldn't figure out if uh, Drum Tang was. The, the, the <laughs> absolute sorcery that Eli Manning and the, the Dolphins, uh, Dolphins, the Giants offense was putting together was one thing. But that defense, in so many ways, is well. But that's the team, and that's the defense that stopped that unstoppable Patriots offense. 
they did that. That that whole reputation comes from the Super Bowl. Again, I I'm not gonna pretend like I just went back and rewatched the uh, the 07 Giants defensive snaps from uh, from from NFL Plus or whatever. But you hold the Patriots to 14 points in the Super Bowl and and get to that point. They gave up 20 to the Packers and 16 to the Cowboys and uh, or 17 to the Cowboys and 14 to the Bucks. You have a bunch of good performances there. They ended their regular season losing to the Patriots 38-35. to I forgot that's how that season ended for them. And I think that game mattered for the Giants considering they were a wild card team. And that's how they're remembered. They're remembered from the Super Bowl performance that they put together there. The Chiefs have that in front of them with more of a resume to show from the regular season too. Uh, the, to your point, the Giants' last game actually didn't matter and they started their players and it was actually the driving point to show that they could compete with the best team in the league because the Patriots, the big uh, pregame speech that Michael Strahan gave was, well, they don't have to improve their seating. Why are they playing? Why are they, all mm-hmm. their starters playing? Because they were going for the perfect going season. For perfect season, yeah. So, oh, sure, right. So, yeah, the Patriots, it didn't matter for them seating-wise. It matter for them historically, it obviously. So the, Giants players, so the Giants said, bleep you, we're going to try to keep you from getting that. Yep. And then it took, uh, what, four or five weeks later, and then they, they did stop the undefeated season. Well, I mean, the Chiefs didn't have that moment of – Hey, we're going to go and prove this. Their moment came in, hey, we're embarrassed. Yeah. You know, on on Christmas Day and and them having to turn it around. Um and also for the also for the Chiefs defense, it, it wasn't a moment that they had to turn it around. It was, "Oh, well, we got to play great football or this team's not going to win." Absolutely. Justin Reed was asked and and so many people point to Christmas Day. And um uh, Justin Reed was asked the moment that changed um sort of his perspective on this season. So people look at Christmas Day uh, 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 Clark Hunt, Brett Veach, Andy Reid, they've all talked about it. Patrick Mahomes has been asked about it each and every day he's talked is, you know, what moment? People have talked about uh, Christmas Day and the Raiders. What changed from that? You know, he had a, a longer answer yesterday about, you know, like a 45-second answer. And I'm like, he's still elaborating on a question he's gotten 15 times since his playoff run started. Um, Justin Reed had a different answer. Um, the moment that changed his perspective on the year that uh, this was possible, that this was uh, within grasp of them playing in another Super Bowl. I will say the Buffalo game in the playoffs was definitely a, a very large moment that bred a lot of confidence throughout the team because we're walking in the hostile environment. Nobody gave us any credit to do anything. Um, never played a playoff game before in an away stadium. Um, offense won't be able to do this. Defense is going to get ran over, et cetera, et cetera. And we're able to go and shut all of that down. So I think that gave us a lot of confidence going into the Baltimore game and responding to the adversity there and even more confidence into the game this weekend. See, that's interesting to me because it's the Raiders game was embarrassed. You need to look in the mirror. Going into Baltimore with all of the questions, and I wonder how much they even question. Like, okay, well, let's see. Let's see what we do. Let's let's go out there. We play great on the road as a team. You know, even Buffalo. better. What did I say? Baltimore. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, Buffalo. Going into Buffalo, let's see what they can do and see what we can do as a team, and then go out there and playing like they did and offensively being able to put points on the board and the game not really being as close as the score was because of you know the fumble into the end zone and what the defense did in the second half. That coming out of that game. Justin Reed is like, yeah, that changed. Then then it was, okay, we went here and did this, and nobody thought we could. We're different than what we were at points this season. This is a different team, which then carries over into Baltimore. And you wonder if things were flipped, if they played Buffalo at home and won that game, do they go to Baltimore with the same amount of confidence of, we know we can come in here and win because we just proved it. Not we believe we can because – 
we have faith in ourselves, we know we can because we just proved it in Buffalo when people said we couldn't do it and we hadn't played on the road. We did that. Now we're coming into Baltimore the same thing. We now have a belief. We now have uh, evidence of concept of belief that it can be done, and, uh, and, and, and they went and got it done in Baltimore. The Raiders was an embarrassing game of look in the mirror. You better you know, get back to you know, working hard and doing whatever you can individually. Uh, to Justin Reed, Buffalo was a, yeah, we're still the Chiefs. And if that compounds, the Ravens game should have proven even more. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that performance was even more impressive. And now you're looking at this Niners team like, look, this is a great offense with a lot of great players. But who should the Chiefs defense be afraid of right now? And the answer is nobody. They, they have yeah. to believe that they do deserve every, every battle they are in. They, they are on even footing at worst. Let's hear from Drew Tranquil. Um, so many people talk about uh, Spagnolo and Spags we trust uh, playing for uh, Steve Spagnolo. Uh, Drew Tranquil, this is his first year playing with uh, Steve Spagnolo and uh, signing as a free agent, knowing he was going to be joining this group. Steve Spagnolo talking to Drew Tranquil about what his role would be on the Chiefs if he were to sign with Kansas City. Um, Drew Tranquil weighing in asked about what it's like to play for Steve Spagnolo. Sure, I mean, Coach Spags uh, does a great job with his linebackers um, in using multiple aspects of their game, whether it's blitzing, which is like my favorite thing to do as a player, um, and run defense and pass defense. He asks a lot of his linebackers. He asks a lot of everybody. Um, but the ability to be multiple and do a lot of different things was was definitely uh, appealing to me. It's just fun, man. Nothing like getting after the quarterback. Um, it's like Red Rover, Red Rover, man. And it's mano a mano. Some guy's standing between you and the quarterback, and uh, you got to find a way to make him miss. Uh, it's just fun. I just think he does a really good job of teaching it. I mean, we're very multiple in our blitzes. We have overload pressures. We have double edge pressures. We have middle pressures. Um, I think when you have a group of guys that can execute a plethora of different blitz schemes, it makes it challenging on a quarterback to ID protection. Um, and when you make it challenging on them and you do things that are simple for you, you can find success. I wonder how much Drew Tranquil and his ability to process defenses made a difference in them wanting to bring him in because you can't go into a season and say, we've got all these returners from last year and they know so much of the defense and things clicked against the Bengals in 2022, according to Justin Reed, that you know early on in the season it was like, you know, uh, he was making calls. One of the, the clips that he had that I, I didn't cut, but he was like, you know, early in the season, because it was last year and we've talked about it before. But he was like, I was making calls and the newer guys were looking at me like, what are we doing? And he was like, I don't know. What are we doing? Um, I'm confused as you are. And he's like, it was rough. And they didn't get comfortable until the Bengals game, which mm-hmm. is what he talked about as well. But I wonder going into the offseason, you're like, okay, we got all these guys returning. We can start to stack on stack on stack of things we do. And we bring in a linebacker that doesn't get it. Yeah. Well, we have to go back to the basics for him? Well, no, we're stacking. We're, we're adding concepts on concepts because these guys already know what's going on. you got to come in and get up to speed already with what those guys are. And if you don't have a linebacker that's going to be able to process the scheme, you can't bring him in. You can't bring him in and, and do some of those things. And I think that's probably one of the things that they loved about Drew Tranquil. Clearly smart guy. Went to Notre Dame, and uh, they've talked about his intelligence on the field and how smart he is. And Certainly that's shown because he's picked up the defense pretty damn good, and he had to be the green dot 
early on. That's the biggest thing. That that's the underline of the underline. Everything you just said. That is just that. Not only did he step in and like wasn't lost and was able to contribute in the defense and to be a guy in the rotation and in sub packages or whatever. Pretty early on, his his test yeah. came. He he had a midterm that I don't. I mean, he was prepared <laughs> for obviously, but it was like, hey, this is like eighty percent of your grade. You've been acing all the homework, but now you have to not only understand this defense, you have to call this defense and line everybody else up and. Tell me a hiccup you saw from the Chiefs' defense in that period. Didn't see one. I don't think I yeah. saw one either. Yeah. I mean, he played. He's played great football this year across the board. But I don't think there's anything more individually impressive than him taking on that role, keeping everything moving on time in an, a defense that he was in for the first year, for the first time. That everybody else, for the most part, I mean, not. I don't know. This is all the same. There's other stuff at play. But Felix Ndika Uzama is not in the defense. Like he's gonna have to play some in the Super Bowl. But like, hey, rookie in this defense, yeah. we're not going to slow down to keep you up to speed. Again, there's lots of other stuff with Felix's get-off and just, like, where his skill is. He's a young player. Again, that's all... It's a little bit of a a, a slight similarities there just to note that this this is a defense that has been, like you said, building on building on building what they had last year. Tranquil stepped in and absolutely mastered it incredibly quickly. One more that I want to play, and then we'll take a break. And this is Justin Reed because Drew Tranquil was talking about, you know, we've got uh, the different schemes. We've got the outside pressure, inside pressure. We've got all these different ways that we can do that to confuse a, a quarterback. Justin Reed was asked about that almost specifically about, you know, what is so difficult. Um, you know, what makes Spag's defense so difficult for opposing offenses and quarterbacks? One, we have 50 different blitzes, you know, so it's just a, a sheer volume and load of pressures, um, but also the amount of double calls that we put into the game plan, too. Um, we have calls in the game that can end up being cover one, cover two, cover three, cover four, or cover zero, all in the same play call, just based on whatever the offense is doing. So uh, that multiplicity um, is a little bit of a learning curve to learn it. But once you master it and once you have the confidence that, you know, we've been able to build like we have this season, it really turns into a strength because it makes it very difficult on opposing offenses to just know what you're doing. 50 different blitzes and four different cover schemes in one play, depending on what the offense does. You remember, not last year, but especially two years ago, when it's, why are these veterans out there a step slow? If Spags' defense is so complicated that young guys, fast guys can't learn it, then maybe you need to dial it back a little bit. That's why. Yeah. That's the payoff, and that's mm-hmm. the reason. It wasn't always justified. It didn't always end well. This is what it can look like. That is an incredible bit of audio right there. We'll take a time out, come back. More Zone next. All right, we continue right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Jason Anderson with you, Josh Briscoe, Dylan Michaels. We head up until 2 o'clock. We will talk with Cynthia Freeland coming up at noon, typically 11 o'clock, but a lot of things get moved around this week. So Cynthia Freeland will join us coming up at uh, noon, 913-912-4810. Todd Lebo there working the room in um, Team Hotel as uh, media availability came up around uh, 10 o'clock or so as he uh, bounced around and talking to different members of the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's hear... Uh, Todd Lebo's uh, conversation with um, defensive line coach Joe Cullen. You're here a few days away from the game. What What is this last couple of practices like getting ready for a Super Bowl? Well, I think just the attention to detail. We're back to somewhat of a normal schedule now. Guys have done a great job, obviously, with Coach Reed's leadership. 
and Spags' leadership being in these games. We know what to expect. And just really fine-tuning the details of the plan and going out and executing these last three or four days. You guys lost Charles, so he's not going to be able to play in this game. Felix has been inactive. Looks like he's probably going to be up. Uh, can he Can he help you guys at this point? Absolutely. You know, utmost uh, confidence in Felix, Malik Karen. Well, it's unfortunate we lost Charles. One, the, the magnitude of this game, who it's against, his whole, whole team. Hard, can't replace a guy like that. But you, know, you got to remember, early in the year when we didn't have Chris, didn't have Charles for the six games, Felix was getting a lot of key reps in passing situations. So I fully expect Felix to come in and do a great job and, and, uh, and also Malik County. Chris Jones has been a big fan of yours. You're obviously a fan of Chris Jones's. What can you expect from someone like him on this big stage in this game? Well, to me, uh, there's no one I'd want any more leading our defense in a big game like this than Chris Jones. Uh, he knows what it takes. He's the best defensive lineman in football. Uh, and I, I think his laser focus right now is second to none. And I think uh, just the way he plays, the energy that he brings, the leadership that he brings, uh, giving us the opportunity to go defend the title and go get another Lombardi trophy back-to-back. You know, I've talked so many times about the faith in the drafting because I don't know what uh, LeJarius Need would look like on a different team. I don't know what uh, Joshua Williams or Jalen Watson would look like on a different team, uh, coach differently. But I know there is so much respect for Dave Merritt around the league and certainly here locally that you're looking at what the secondary has become because of how good Dave Merritt is. The defensive line, people talk about Joe Cullen as well, that how good the defensive line has become and, and players developing and George you know, Karloftis being the player that he is. And hopefully FAU will you know, take that same uh, career trajectory and, and become a really good, valuable, productive player for this team. And one of the reasons I have faith in the drafting is because of the coaching I believe the players are getting and the continuity that's there. And, you know, Talking to Adam Teicher yesterday, I was going to say on Tuesday, that was yesterday. Today feels like a Thursday to me. Tomorrow will feel like a Friday. I can't believe we're midweek of Super Bowl week right now. I am one day ahead this whole week. I woke up yesterday thinking it was Wednesday. Today I thought it was Thursday. I'm guessing tomorrow I think it's Friday. And uh, Super Bowl Sunday, I'll wake up thinking i got to go to work. I don't know. (laughs) It's weird. Whatever. Um, But, you know, talking to Teicher yesterday about, you know, the, the Chiefs, coaching staff and even you know front office personnel hasn't really been picked apart and rated the way that you know the patriots were rated like mm-hmm. every year it felt like they were having to rehash coordinator after coordinator after coordinator after coordinator um and guys in the front office and thomas dimitroff and scott pioli and etc and yeah the, the 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 chiefs have lost ryan poles and now they the lost uh, uh, uh brant tillis and that was the jumping off point but I'm concerned about Joe Cullen yep. because he was mentioned with three different jobs. The commander's defensive coordinator, they've already hired somebody, thankfully. The Seahawks, D.C., and they hired Leslie Frazier as assistant head coach, along with Mike McDonald, who is a defensive guy anyway, mm. who has said he's going to be calling the defense. So is Joe Cullen going to go there with two other guys that are already defensive guys and Mike McDonald and Leslie Frazier that have a higher – um, uh, 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 job title than you, head coach and assistant head coach, and the head coach already saying he's going to call the defense. So is that going to be something that um, is is tempting for him? But also the report that's out there about Sharon Moore in Michigan, that 
not only is Michigan interested, Sharon Moore is making a strong push that he wants Joe Cullen. Not just interested, he's the first choice. He wants Joe Cullen to be his defensive coordinator for a, a number of reasons. Reports out of Michigan, Sharon Moore views it as would be a splash. He wants to keep the defense being a high-level defense. Look what the Chiefs have done with their defensive line and the respect Joe Cullen has. He coached in Detroit for four or five years, so he's familiar with Michigan. Um, and you would have an NFL defensive line coach and a guy who's been around NFL players for so long that would then be recruiting for Michigan. It's the one guy he's going for. And the fact that they haven't promoted from within yet tells me they're waiting for the Super Bowl to be over to interview Joe Cullen. And if Joe Cullen turns it down, then they'll go with the uh, interim, uh, the the internal candidate. I can't remember. I, I think it might be their linebackers coach or something. So. There was but also were... a, a report yesterday that they have Wink Martindale like on the radar. Yeah. which is kind of funny because he and Joe Cullen were yeah. on that Ravens staff together for several years. But so there's one a... other name you could put in there. Wink's available right now. One hundred percent. Absolutely. And, and maybe they're waiting to talk to Joe. Cullen, I think that's totally and then it's, fair. Uh, after we talk with Joe, then we'll see if we want Wink or if we want Joe or if we want to hire from within and a guy that we trust because they hired from within um, as offensive coordinator and, and uh, offensive line coach and things like that already with Sharon Moore taking over. And a lot of that happens when an interim or an internal candidate takes over. They sort of keep the same guys. And if they lose somebody like they lost their defensive coordinator to the uh, Chargers with Jim Harbaugh, then you promote from within and they may do that but man i really like joe cullen and i hope he does not get that job sorry that is so yeah. selfish of me i like him and i hope michigan goes with wink martindale or an internal candidate that they promote well and look maybe and maybe joe cullen wants to be a dc again nfl college whatever being yeah. michigan dc is probably a pretty dang good job but also there's no salary cap on assistant coaches in the nfl and no salary cap on coaches at all so if he takes his michigan interview and he says hey clark uh appreciate everything so far mm -hmm. michigan's offering me this much money I'd be happy to stay. I like it here. I like Spags and Andy Reid and Kansas City, but I might need a little more money to stick around. That's that's how this yeah. goes sometimes, well, especially for positional coaches. I don't know. I don't think Joe Cullen's making a million dollars. I would guess he's not, but he would make probably a million five if Michigan wants to hire him. I wonder what Joe Cullen's making. I mean, so I don't know if he's making seven figures, but I can promise you he'll make seven figures if he's the Michigan defensive coordinator. 100%. Um, and so probably – 1.5 probably somewhere in the mid one to two million dollars he'll make because those numbers are starting to go up and up and up and the coordinator salary pool that uh coaches want you know that's uh, getting more and more uh and so if he's really recruiting and courting joe colin and that's his number one guy then you may have to pay for it yep. and it may take that for joe colin to go okay I'll get back at, I'll go to college where I got to recruit now. Mm -hmm. I'm right. not just coaching guys that are, you know, I'm scouting and helping with some of the draft process. But now I got to go out there and scout guys, recruit them, keep them on the team because then there's transfer portal while trying to develop players. And each and every year, this guy might be gone while trying to win games. I mean, there are a lot of guys getting out of college, right? Trying to head to the pros. Uh, but again, money talks. I but mean, also, Colin could say, hey, go ahead and pay me a lot of money for a, another one-year deal. A lot, yeah. Most assistant deals are one-year deals, right? Um, pay me a, a lot of money for one more year because I think in one more year I'll be an NFL defensive coordinator. Like, yeah, If he does right. not want to recruit and deal with the portal and all of those things, if mm -hmm. he likes the NFL world, there's a lot worse you could do than to coach the yeah. Chiefs defensive line for one more season and then, then get another opportunity next year. And I don't want to – wouldn't we say that Sharon Moore is in the unenviable position of following Jim Harbaugh yes. where yeah. – 
you win, it's his players. You lose, you drop the ball. So I, that's another thing. Tubby Smith in 98. Yep. Uh, he won the championship, but he won it with Rick's players. Let's see what he does after that. Never went to another Final Four. And it's even it's even more obviously like Alabama. You're looking there and being like, "All right, man, good luck being the guy after the after Nick freaking Saban." Yeah. But it was this is the man for the job. We're gonna let it. It will be his team eventually. I don't know yeah. if it's immediate or not. But in in Michigan, it's this is the team that Harbaugh built. It's literally the staff he built. Like, how are you going to? You are going to have to almost overachieve out of the gate to be like, you know, things are just as good as they were here with Harbaugh. That's a tough a tough standard. Yeah. Alabama, they hire a guy who went to the college football playoff right. um, and, you know, won the Pac-12. Michigan's hiring a guy who filled in for Jim Harbaugh and coached the team that if you're that good of a coach, you kind of have everything sort of up and running. Yep. Um, and, and that's what Michigan did. But Sean Moore might be awesome. He might be a superstar that's budding that could have got an opportunity somewhere else, but now he gets the opportunity with Michigan and, prove, and can go and prove that he can be a superstar. Um, we'll see. But I, sorry, Joe and the Cullen family. I, I hope he doesn't get the job. I'd be happy for him if he does that, but, um, you know, uh, Chiefs are going to be drafting some more defensive linemen. Because yep. if Chris Jones is gone and Derek Nottie's contract is up and Charles Amenahu is going to start on the pup, you know, next year, that's pretty much a Wharton's guarantee. deal is a one-year deal. Absolutely. Um, you know, Dana's a free agent. Dana's a free agent. Good grief. So they're going to need some defensive linemen. And uh, if Joe Cullen's gone, then I would be concerned about the development and what that defensive line looks like. Um, so uh, we'll see. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. And we'll uh, hear a quick conversation that uh, Todd Lebo had with FAU. And then we'll talk with Cynthia Freeland coming up at noon. More Zone next. All right, we'll talk to Cynthia Freeland coming up at noon. NFL Network analytics expert Mick Schaefer joining us at uh, 1 o'clock. Let's hear a uh, conversation that uh, Todd Lebo had. We, we heard Joe Cullen talking about the FAU, and um, he's got faith that he can uh, make an impact in the game because looks like he'll probably be up and playing in the Super Bowl, which is a pretty cool thing for him locally. But here's uh, Todd Lebo's conversation with uh, Felix and UDK Uzama. What a wild year this has been for you, man. Can you even put into words getting drafted by your hometown team, and then ended up here? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Um, it still feels like a dream to this day, funny thing, but um, it's just unbelievable just to uh, be a part of uh, Kansas City Chiefs, growing up, watching them, how they uh, came from a uh, bad record to having, um, obviously, Super Bowl champs uh, numerous of the year. Oh, well, obviously, in 2020 and stuff like that, and having like a win success a lot, but it's, it's been a crazy, uh, crazy ride, especially been drafted by my hometown. But um, yeah, what's your uh, development been like for you? I know you've been inactive a couple times during the postseason. Yeah. You got any idea of what it's going to be like Sunday? You going to be up? Uh, yes, I'm going to be up. Um, I just know just it's next minute. It's because of Charles Menahue. Obviously, he got injured. Um, it's by the end of the day, it's next minute mentality. Um, my mother, um, um, it's not. Um, I'm, I've been preparing like it's basically a regular game. So, um, so when my name's called up, I'll, I'll be ready. What are the biggest challenges that you'll get from the Niners in their own line? Um, they're very, very physical. Um, they have a, obviously a Hall of Famer on there too. So um, it's a very physical matchup. Um, just, Technique-wise, at the end of the day, we focus on the technique and focus on what we need to do. We still beat them. We'll see. They'll need him. I mean, he'll get some reps in the game. I don't know how many reps he'll get in the game, but he'll get some reps in the game. You know, Joe Cullen mentioned Malik Herring as well in his uh, brief conversation with Todd Lebo. Those are guys that are going to have to step up. Mike Dana going to have to step up. 
you know, if you can limit the number of plays for the 49ers, then you can have your main guys play more. And you don't have to go as deep into the rotation. Or maybe the Chiefs just simply go, hey, whoever goes up against Trent Williams, you're the sacrificial lamb. Yep, so you'll, sorry. They'll take Trent Williams, he'll uh, focus on you, and you'll just do whatever you can do against him, and we'll focus on the other four guys and try to make our hay that way. So they just may. Play down by the bay. Mandalay? What do you say?